Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 123rd program in this series. In this program, I'm going to spend some more time in John chapter 19, verse 37. In 19, verse 37, John said, and again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And at the end of the previous message, I explained that this was partially fulfilled. John speaks of this passage as if it is a fulfillment of prophecy, but this prophecy has not yet been fully fulfilled. Jesus was pierced, and that is a partial fulfillment, but there is a lot more to experience in the future with regards to this prophecy. In verse 34, in John chapter 19, verse 34, it says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out, which was a way to be able to be sure that a person really was physically dead. And so Jesus was pierced. He was pierced in his hands. He was pierced in his feet. And he was also pierced in his side. He experienced a lot of piercings. And John quotes in verse 37, he quotes from Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I'm going to spend some time reading through Zechariah chapter 12 in this message. Just so you have a better understanding of the context of this prophecy. And so that you can also understand why it has not yet been fulfilled, and yet the significance of what will happen when it is fully fulfilled. Now, in Zechariah chapter 12, Zechariah records what God said. This is the testimony of Zechariah of what he heard the Lord say to him, and he has been recognized as a legitimate prophet throughout history. Now, in Zechariah chapter 12, the Lord speaks of a certain day. You'll hear him say this in just about every other verse that he says, in that day. He's speaking of a certain specific day. And on this day, there is a global conflict that God is going to resolve on behalf of the tribe of Judah and on behalf of Jerusalem. But when this conflict is resolved, you're going to see that the people of Jerusalem and of Judah are not very happy about what they see. And this is a critical item to understand, and I'll come back to that in just a moment. But beginning in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, which also can be translated as the prophecy, Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples, 
when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day I will make the governors of Judah like a firepan in the woodpile and like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. And then in verse 8, In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them, in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. All right, and so you can see that the Lord says a lot about that day. This is definitely a significant and special day. All of the nations surrounding Jerusalem are going to come against Jerusalem and against Judah, and the Lord is going to intervene. He's going to do something personally. Now, there are some subtle hints that you can find in these passages that I just read. For example, in verse 7, he speaks of the glory of the house of David, that it will be greater than that of Jerusalem. There is a subtle hint here that we can see now in the context of the Messiah because Jesus was the representative of the house of Judah, not just of Jerusalem, as if Jerusalem was it. That wasn't it. The house of Judah as a whole was the tribe through which the Messiah would come. And so God indicates that there will be a separation between all that is surrounding Jerusalem, all that is within Jerusalem, everything that has to do with the temple, with regards to all the religious practices, that there will be a separation between the religion of the temple and the religion of Jerusalem and the person of our God, and that the glory of God is of greater importance than the glory of all that is within Jerusalem. And this glory, as we have studied this previously in the previous chapters in the Gospel of John, this glory is the knowing of our God, the knowing of him as a person, and that there is a distinction between knowing him and knowing all of the religion that is within Jerusalem. That's a subtle thing that I wanted to show you from verse 7. 
in verse 8, again, in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8, it says, In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. Now, of course, people are not going to be like God, as would normally be discussed when people think of this phrase. This is a subtle way of saying that God himself is going to be a participant and that he is going to be revealed and known through this. And so to say that these people, the house of David, is going to be like God, not the individuals themselves. They're not going to become a sinless person or the saviors of the nation. God is going to be this person. He explains that in the previous verses. He is going to be the one who saves them. In this conflict, he may give them divine strength as part of it. But in my opinion, in verse 8, he's giving a subtle description of himself, that he is going to be the one who brings about salvation. This is just how I read Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8. But now continuing into verse 9, in verse 9 it says, It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And then in verse 10, God says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. This is verse 10. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. So God is going to pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. In the context of this particular day, when there is great conflict, he is certainly going to be gracious to the people by saving them from all of the nations who have come against them. That is very gracious. The idea of supplication, however, indicates that God is going to bring a resolution to sin. And so when you put these two together, the idea of the spirit of grace and supplication, I think that in verse 10 he's talking about the forgiveness of sins, that he will be relating to the people in the midst of their sinfulness, but he will do so without holding their sins against them. Now, in participating in this great conflict and bringing victory to the people, that certainly is a way of understanding that he's not going to be holding their sins against them in this context. But here in verse 10, we have the subtle description of forgiveness as a topic, and that this is given by grace and the supplication of God, and God also says this in a way that there are two different pronouns that are used here in order to describe this salvation. Again, in verse 10, he uses the word I, referring to himself. But then he makes a transition, and he goes from I and me 
to him. Now, who is this him? Who's the him? The him is somebody who they are going to mourn when they encounter him. In other words, they are not going to be very pleased to discover who this him is. When they do, they are going to be very upset. Now, this is a very interesting transition because we start with the Lord himself. He's going to come and he's going to save them. Would they not rejoice? Would they not be excited? Won't they be thrilled? Won't they have a significant amount of happiness? Won't they thank the Lord for his graciousness and his supplication to be a gracious God to provide them with salvation, especially in the context of redemption from sin? But no, they are not going to be happy about the discovery of this him. Who could this him be? Well, this is the one who they pierced. And this person is a person who they are not going to be happy about seeing again. This is Jesus. As John testified in John chapter 19, verse 34 and 37, Jesus is the one who was pierced. And so we have a partial fulfillment in the sense that we've got the guy who was pierced. We, we know who the him is. We know who he is. He's the one who was pierced. And we also know that the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem are not going to be happy when they see him return. Why? Because he is the one who they rejected, who they have rejected ever since he arrived. They are the ones who brought him to Pilate and extorted Pilate into killing this guy, into piercing him in his hands, in his feet, in his side. So when they see him return in this capacity, of course they're going to be disappointed. Of course they're going to feel a little bit of discomfort because this is the person, this is the him, who they will least likely expect to see when he comes. So again, in verse 10, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, which we know as the gospel. But in the context of this salvation in this day that is spoken of in Zechariah chapter 12, this is a moment when all the nations come upon them. And the salvation of the Lord is obvious. It is clear. They know who has saved them. But then they will look on me whom they pierced. Now, this means that there is going to be a person who they are going to look upon. And who is this person? He says, it is me. It is God. It is the living God who they 
will look upon and they will see that he is the person who they pierced. God is going to come personally and he is going to wage war against all of the nations at some point. This has not yet been fulfilled, but someday in the future, this is going to happen. And God himself is going to show up in a way that the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, are going to be able to see him. And it's going to be obvious to them that he is their God. There won't be any question about that at all. And then they're going to see, oh, the way that he is presenting himself is he is presenting himself as the person who they pierced. And who is this person? This is Jesus. That's the only person. There isn't anybody else who would legitimately qualify for the fulfillment of a future prophecy like this. Jesus is the only person who the people in the future would be able to identify with to say, oh yeah, historically speaking, our forefathers, our ancestors are the ones who did this to him. And now he's back. He's come back and he has come back in a way that he has presented himself that we all know who he is. This is our God, and he has shown us, this is what's going to happen, he has shown us that he came before as a man. He manifested in the flesh and lived amongst the people as a man, and they participated in his execution wrongfully, and now he has returned, and he's the one who has saved them from this great conflict, this epic level conflict that they were in. And they will see that he, Jesus, is the one. He is the him. So again, in verse 10, he says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. That's the I. And then they will look on me, but they will mourn for him. And who is the him? It's the me and the I. It's the same person. It's our God. And they are going to be very sad. They are going to mourn. And that is the correct word to use because he is the one who was put to death wrongfully. And so now there is going to be mourning for all that they have lost. What have they lost? They lost their whole lives rejecting the one who is, the one who saves them, the one who is the true and living God. Their whole existence, the identity of a Jew, is not a person who lives in obedience to the Mosaic law. It is a person who rejects Jesus as the Messiah, for the most part. There are, of course, some Jews who live for the obedience of the Mosaic law, but most of them only exist as a people who reject Jesus as the Messiah. You can be a Jew today and believe anything you want. You don't even have to believe that there's a God. You can be a Buddhist. You can be anything, a Hindu. 
It doesn't matter. You will be welcome. You will be accepted. But if you think that Jesus is the Messiah, oh, you are no longer a Jew even. You are now the greatest enemy that the Jews throughout history have ever encountered. You are perhaps even worse than the devil himself. To some people, especially those who don't even really believe in the devil, they can deny him, but they can't deny you. You exist in an obvious way to them. And so it's much easier to hate and despise you as a person. But in that day, in verse 11, in that day, this is Zechariah chapter 12, verse 11, in that day there shall be a great morning in Jerusalem, like the morning of Hadad, Rimon, in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself. Why would they be by themselves? Because what is their assembly going to look like? They've been having a lot of assemblies. They have assemblies. And what is this assembly about? Well, we're the people who reject Jesus as the Messiah. But when he returns, and it is completely obvious that Jesus is the Messiah, well, everybody's going to go and be quiet and be sad by themselves. They are not going to be able to withstand the embarrassment of assembling together, looking at each other and being reminded that their only real identity and existence was about the rejection of somebody else. And now this person will have saved them from certain doom from all of the surrounding nations. What are you going to do now? How are you going to respond to this? Your God has made it abundantly clear that he manifested in the flesh as Jesus. He will make it abundantly clear that he is the Messiah. He himself, our God, the living God, is the Messiah. He is the Messiah for Israel, the Savior. And when he makes it clear to them, when he makes it obvious to them that that is the case, they are not going to be happy with what they see. They're not going to be angry. They're going to be really sad to the point of mourning, which is why this word is used in this way. And they are going to mourn their entire existence. And if you continue to read the rest of chapter 12, you see the way that this is described. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 12, it says, And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves. The family of Shammai by itself and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. Jesus is the only person who will possibly be able to fulfill this prophecy. And when they see the one person who they least expect, this is how they're going to respond. The Messiah is the one who they do not expect to see, who they pierced. And this was the prophecy that had the greatest impact on me personally, that convinced me that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10, referred to by John in John chapter 19 verse 37, referring to a person who the people would not expect. And Jesus is the only person who they pierced who they are definitely not expecting. And when they see him, it will be understandable as to why they will behave in the way that was described at the end of Zechariah chapter 12. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 123rd program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I spent some more time in John chapter 19, verse 37, focusing on Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12 is where the prophecy is found that John refers to in John chapter 19, verse 37. This has to do with them looking upon the one who they pierced. Now, at this time in history, Jesus was pierced, but they were not looking on him in a way that would fulfill Zechariah chapter 12. This is something that is going to happen at a later date, sometime in the future. It's my personal opinion that this will be fulfilled when the Lord Jesus returns. He will return one day, and when he does, the people there in Judah, the people in Israel, in Jerusalem, are going to see him return, and he will return in a way that they will know, however he does this, they will know that it is Jesus who is returning, the one who was pierced. And in recognizing who he is, they are going to be confronted with the fact that they have rejected their Messiah and all the generations before them to the time of Jesus were people who rejected their Messiah, rejected the Messiah of God, who is God himself personally. And so it will be a moment of recognition of the rejection of their God. And they will mourn, and they will do so by themselves, because the embarrassment will be that great. And I will continue into John chapter 19 in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net